Hello and welcome to the History of Vikings. The Muslim Emirate of Cordoba was a land of unspeakable wealth. With its capital in southern Spain, it was the westernmost outpost of the Islamic world. Conceived in warfare, the Emirate bore a powerful standing army that came against Viking marauders in the mid-9th century. The Northmen raided Seville, a city said to have been founded by the hero Hercules, then rampaged across the Iberian Peninsula. Many of these attacks were led by Bjorn Ironside, the notorious son of Ragnar Lothbrok. When studying the Viking Age, we tend to focus on the battles and encounters between Northmen and their Christian adversaries. Yet, in today's episode, we'll discuss a time when Vikings went to war with Muslims. Joining me to discuss Viking interactions with the Muslim Emirate of Cordoba, situated in what is today modern Spain and Portugal, is Dr. Anne Christie's. Anne is an independent scholar and the author of a book titled Vikings in the South, Voyages to Iberia and the Mediterranean. She's also contributed a fascinating article to Medieval Warfare magazine titled A Viking Raid on Seville, Ship After Ship of the Majus. Before we get into my conversation with Anne, I want to tell you that we've recently partnered with Medieval Warfare magazine as a way to support this podcast. Additionally, I've written an article titled I Greet the Sword's Honed Edge, The Vikings in Death, which will be published in the December issue of Medieval Warfare, now available for pre-order. If you've ever wanted to support this podcast, please consider doing so by signing up for a digital subscription to Medieval Warfare magazine, which is only $10 every six months. If you choose to sign up, please do so via the link in the description of this episode, as the History of Vikings will receive a commission, which goes directly back into the show. You can also get a 10% discount off your subscription if you use the coupon code VIKINGS at checkout. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Anne Christie's. Dr. Anne Christie's, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Well, I'm so glad to have you on the show, and I'm exceptionally excited about our topic of conversation today, how Vikings met Muslims and contacts between Vikings and the various peoples of the Iberian Peninsula. Of course, the Vikings traveled far and wide during the early Middle Ages from Finland to Newfoundland, Iceland to Russia, Constantinople to the British Isles. But one place that some of our listeners probably didn't know that the Vikings traveled to was, in fact, the Iberian Peninsula, including what is today the modern countries of Spain and Portugal. Within the Iberian Peninsula, there were different groups of people. You had the Muslim Emirate of Cordoba, a caliphate of incredible wealth, and then, of course, you had the Christian kingdoms located in what is today modern-day northern Spain. Well, Anne, I'm curious, how does the Viking Age begin on the Iberian Peninsula? Well, it's a little bit of a puzzle because we have very precise information about the first time that they raided in Spain. 
but we have almost nothing before that. We don't know whether they ever came trading, whether they reconnoitred. There's no archaeological evidence that they portrayed with Spain. So we're really relying on a number of different people in different parts of Europe and as far away as Egypt, writing about the first time that they visited the peninsula. So it was a group of people who'd been raiding in France for quite some time, and they'd been on the river Garonne and gone as far as Toulouse. And then the chronicler says that a few of them went on to Spain and they landed in Galicia, which is the northwest corner of Spain, but they were repulsed by the local inhabitants. Also, they lost some ships in a storm, but those who were left decided to go further on around the coast, and they went as far as southwest Spain, where they fought the Saracens very long and hard, but were driven off. Now, as we go later in time, we get a lot more information about this voyage but unfortunately it gets more elaborate and some of it is a little bit difficult to believe and one of the longest descriptions comes from somebody who lived in Morocco at the beginning of the 14th century and he describes the arrival of the Vikings off the coast of Seville in these words he calls them majus which was a general word for pagans and at this point, I don't think that the Arabic writers knew where his people had come from. And it says, Medus arrived in about 80 ships. One might say they had, as it were, filled the ocean with dark red birds, in the same way as they had filled the hearts of men with fear and trembling. After landing at Lisbon, they sailed on to Seville. They besieged the city and took it by storm. After letting the inhabitants suffer the terror of imprisonment or death, they remained there seven days, during which they let the people empty the cup of bitterness. Now, even the people in Galicia got to tell more elaborate stories about what Vikings did when they landed there, because the second time the story is told, they said that the king came with a great army and defeated the Vikings. And as time went on, they said that the king destroyed 70 ships. And by the time we get to the 13th century, and here we have a chronicler who's read the earlier Latin sources, and he's also read at least one history that was written by somebody in Arabic, but we don't know which one it was. And he says that the king destroyed 70 ships, and he also destroyed 70,000 Muslims at a battle at Clavijo. And this is a completely imaginary battle. And it gets more imaginary because Santiago St. James comes and helps the king drive off the Muslims in this occasion. Now, the Arabic stories are much later than the Latin ones, and they always add picturesque details. So one account of the Siege of Seville says that there were three bands of Vikings, and in one band there were 16,000 men, which we know is extremely improbable. And the Emir Abdurrahman II had been warned that pagans were coming to destroy Seville. He'd been warned in a dream where he saw the Prophet Muhammad in the mosque in Seville telling him that a great enemy was going to come and destroy the Muslims in Spain. And one account of the siege of Seville has a miraculous appearance of a youth who single-handedly 
holds off the attackers for three days until the Emir's army can get there and deal with them. So these sort of very exciting, in a way fantastical Muslim accounts of, for example, as you said, the Viking raid on Seville in 844, there's something of an embellishment going on there on the part of the Arab chroniclers. Am I correct in saying that? Just as the Christian monks of the British Isles were very keen to add illustrious details to embellish their accounts of the Viking raids there. Yes, exactly the same. Indeed. Well, of course, the Viking Age on the Iberian Peninsula is something that is seldom discussed or written about, yet it's so exciting. Two very popular and famous Viking Age leaders, Bjorn and Hastein, they made appearances on the Iberian Peninsula during the early Middle Ages. Could you tell us about their adventures and their sort of campaigns, raids on the peninsula? Well, the second time that Vikings came was in 859. And this time, the Andalusis seemed to be ready for them. The emir had ordered that a fleet should be built, and the fleet went out and drove them off. So they went on to North Africa, and then they raided a small and not very important port in North Africa. And from there, they went to southern France and then round to Italy. So it's association with Italy that we hear about Hastings, first of all. And this is a story from about the year 1000, written by a chronicler in Normandy, where, of course, some of the Scandinavians had settled and become peaceful and so on. And he wrote about them and he contrasted them with the Danes, as he called them, who had carried on raiding. And what he says about Hastings is this. When the Danes had laid waste to everything they had seen and had met with no serious military resistance throughout the whole of Francia, they were called together to decide what more they were to do on their campaign. And the most infamous of all, Hastings, spoke by himself on behalf of the others. Let us go to Rome and force it to submit to our dominion like Francia. This plan suited them all and the pirates hoisted their sails and turned their prows away from the Frankish coast, and they encountered heavy seas in all directions, and conquered lands and coasts hither and thither, hoping to reach Rome, which is the mistress of all the nations, undetected. And they arrived in their ships at a city called Luni, and the chief men of the city were terrified by the fearsome invasion of so many men, and they strengthened the place with numerous armed warriors. The blasphemer Hastings observed that the city could not be forcibly taken by all his men, and he thought of a crafty plan. The crafty plan was Hastings sent a message to the Bishop of Luni, saying that he was nearing death and he wanted to be baptised. And he had his men carry him into the city on a bier, looking as though he was dead. And when they got inside the walls, they burst out and massacred the inhabitants. Now, this is probably a grain of truth in Hastings being active in Spain on the Mediterranean, but it's really not connected with Luni. Hastings attacked the wild of the Somme and the Thames in the 880s and 890s, but he probably wasn't active at the time that this story is said to have taken place. Pierre Ironside became added to the story about 70 years after the original story was written. He's thought to be a son of Ragnar Lothbrok, who, of course, is a 
probably a fictional character himself, but he could be related to a historical Berno who attacked the Seine and could have been on the Mediterranean expedition. So, you know, all these stories come from somewhere, but by the time they're written down, it's very difficult to pick out the grains of truth. And the reason why the first author picked on Looney is that one of the Frankish chroniclers that he almost certainly read had written about Muslim pirates who were based in Spain or southern Italy attacking Looney, and he mentioned Looney specifically. So we think that probably the chronicler picked up a bit from here and a bit from there and put them together and came up with this lovely story. I understand, and this probably has something to do with the fact as to why it hasn't been written about a great deal, but I understand that the source material, certainly the scant archaeological material evidence for the Viking Age in Iberia, I understand that that is very limited indeed. But you've, of course, read some of the Arabic accounts. Really, how should we understand the source material for Viking interactions with Islamic Spain and even the Christian kingdoms on the Iberian Peninsula? Well, I think in one way it's difficult because the sources are late and they've been elaborated on. But on the other hand, because we have sources from Francia, from northern Spain, and the Arabic chronicles, and they're also odd little bits of things like there's an Irish chronicle that mentions Vikings raiding North Africa, Mauritania specifically, and taking away blue men to Ireland. And this is a very late source, but if we have all this different material, it's possible to put it all together and at least draw a framework of what happens, even though the details are very difficult to put onto the framework. I see, I see, indeed. How did the Vikings fare on the Iberian Peninsula during the time that they were there? Did they go considerably unchecked in terms of their raiding and expeditions as they had for so long in Western Europe? Or really did they meet their match against the Christian kingdoms of northern Iberia and the Muslim Emirate of Cordoba? They didn't go away with very much. There's one reference that they might have overwintered at the mouth of the Guadalquivir below Seville, but usually it was a raid and they were driven off. And we don't know really whether that was because there was not a lot for them to take away with them. This is the best evidence for what Vikings gained from their raids is from some charters from the 11th century. And it's just a couple of charters of the people who are forced to sell land in order to pay ransoms. And in one of them, the document says that a great number of Vikings captured my daughters and he names them. And now he's reduced to poverty because he's had to sell his land for silver to pay ransom. And another charter shows a woman selling her land to ransom herself and her daughter from the Vikings. Then this time she doesn't give them silver. She gives them a cloak, a sword, a shirt, three pieces of linen, a cow and some salt. And it's difficult to draw any major conclusions, but I think probably that's what they took with them. As I said, the first time they were driven off and their only success was in Seville. And in that case, I think they possibly did gain a considerable amount of booty. The second time they were driven off without taking anything with them. There's another occasion when they came again in the 970s when the emir who's in his palace in Cordoba receives a message from the coast to say that 
Vikings have been sighted off the coast of Lisbon. And he sends out his fleet and he sends one of his generals. And a month later, they come back and say, well, we never found any Vikings. So I think probably they might have had some opportunistic raiding, but they were never established enough to make a good business out of it. And that's maybe why they didn't come very often. Indeed, indeed. Perhaps the thing that's most interesting to me about the Viking Age on the Iberian Peninsula is sort of this interaction that we see between Vikings and Muslims. Readers of the Viking Age, students of Viking studies, are of course very familiar with the interactions between Vikings and Christians, and even between Vikings and other Scandinavians, what the Christians would have called the pagan peoples of the North. But this interaction between Vikings and Muslims, to me it's quite interesting. Could you tell us a little bit about who the Cordobians were? What was the Muslim emirate of Cordoba, the enemies of the Vikings on the Iberian Peninsula? There was an invasion in 711 from North Africa, and it was the last of the Muslim conquests in this part of the world. And they overran almost the whole of the peninsula, but the northern part, they didn't settle. Sometimes it says there were too many mountains and there was nothing there for us, so we didn't settle there. For, for the first couple of centuries after they arrived, we don't really know too much about them. And what we know mostly is from the 10th century, because that's when they built the palace outside Cordoba. And we have a very detailed account of four years of court activity by somebody who was there. And at this point, they were going to war in North Africa. They were raiding against the Christians more or less every year. They were taking slaves from the Christians. They were buying slaves. They were trading slaves with Europe. They were building fortresses and palaces. And they were equipped with fleets and could easily deal with a small number of people in boats. Yes, indeed. Well, how fascinating. Well. Dr. Christie's, how does the Viking Age end in Iberia? You know, we sort of talked about how the Vikings really didn't achieve perhaps everything they had hoped to achieve in terms of plundering and extracting as much wealth as possible on the Iberian Peninsula, but how does the Viking Age end? It peters out. We get the saga stories of people passing by Spain when they went to Jerusalem and getting involved in the Siege of Lisbon in 1147, and the odd references in small chronicles, which would be a simple statement, in this year the Vikings came, but there's no more details than that. So I assume that Vikings based in France would continue to raid the coast of Galicia, but not to the extent that people got very excited about writing about it. Yes, how interesting. Well, at the beginning of our episode today, I mentioned your book, Vikings in the South, Voyages to Iberia in the Mediterranean, which I highly, highly recommend. At the beginning of this episode, I also mentioned your wonderful article, A Viking Raid on Seville in 844, Ship After Ship of the Majus, which was published by Medieval Warfare magazine. For all of our listeners at home, and can you just tell them where they might go? to explore your work? Well, if they're interested in Vikings, obviously the Vikings in the South would be where to start. I'm also about to publish a general history 
on Muslim Spain, but that's still in the planning stage, so I can't really say what it's going to be called or when it's coming out. Well, how interesting. Certainly, I know that you can't disclose too much information, but I know that I myself am massively looking forward to that book coming out. Well, Dr. Ann Christie's, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you today on the podcast. I have learned a great deal about this fascinating, though unknown, aspect of the Viking Age, as I'm sure our listeners have as well. Dr. Ann Christie's, thank you again for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the History of Vikings. If you've enjoyed today's show and would like to support the podcast, please consider doing so by signing up for a digital subscription to Medieval Warfare magazine, which, with Christmas and the holiday season in sight, would make an excellent gift for any history enthusiast. For only $10 every six months, you will receive bi-monthly issues of the best history magazine on the market. In addition to this, you'll be directly supporting the podcast. If you choose to sign up, please do so via the link in the description of this episode, as the History of Vikings will receive a commission. You can also get a 10% discount off of your subscription if you use the coupon code VIKINGS at checkout. And don't forget to check out my article titled, I Greet the Sword's Honed Edge, The Vikings and Death, in the December issue of Medieval Warfare. Thank you so much again for listening to the podcast. Please join us here again for another episode. <laughs>